0: It's Wednesday, August 5th, 2015, and you're listening to episode 373 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 24 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. And today you got me for a solo episode. I've got a bunch of things that I want to talk about. But one of the things I want to get to is some of the things that occurred at Gen Con this year. And unfortunately of the other hosts, the only one that was able to attend with me was John. And I'm not able to get him on the show tonight. So it's just going to be me. Let me first knock out two announcements and then also a giveaway that we are doing. And then we're going to start talking about some gaming stuff, including Gen Con. But this is not going to be purely a con review show, okay? So if that's not your thing, then I hope you'll still find something in here to enjoy. So first up, there's a convention that we want to let you guys know about, the Asheville Scarefest. It's a gaming convention taking place October 23rd to 25th, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And they're going to be presenting a bunch of RPGs and tabletop games. And since it's going to be around Halloween, they're going to try and That tilts some of the games a little bit more Halloween-y or horror in nature. That doesn't mean that's all you'll find there, but it's just something they're going to put in there. So if you want to find out more, check the show notes for a link to their website and also a link to their Facebook page. Once again, that's uh, right around Halloween, October 23rd to 25th in Asheville, North Carolina. The second thing I want you guys to know about is we try to make the show available in as many places as we reasonably can. And we've got something really cool coming up, which is the podcast, I believe within the next month or two, should be available on Spotify. We are going to be part of Liberated Syndication's rollout on there. And I will let you guys know when that's happening. But in the meantime, if you prefer to get your stuff off of SoundCloud, Fear the Boot is now being distributed through SoundCloud. And so I will put a link to our feed there in the show notes. A little note on that, though, because of the way distribution works over there, you will only get our new content, so you will not get any of the back catalog of shows, but anything going forward should appear over there just fine. All right, so let's talk about our giveaway. While I was at Gen Con this year, I spent some time talking to the guys over at Catalyst, and we'll talk about that more here in a second, but I got a copy of the Battletech box set. A lot of people come to us asking how to get started with Battletech since we carry on so much about it, and there actually may be a whole episode in there at some point if I'm doing another solo show. Some people ask me to talk at length about Battletech, but typically one of the really important parts of getting started with Battletech was the box set, which had the basic rules, the mech minis, it had some maps, I mean everything you needed to play at least the combat side of the game. Now it doesn't include the role-playing game, which is a separate product, but Those box sets were a big part of getting started, and unfortunately, those box sets have also been out of production for a little bit. But Catalyst just brought them back, and so if you want to get started with Battletech and you want to get a copy of the current box set, then we're going to do a random giveaway. Here's what I need you to do. Follow Fear the Boot on Twitter. It's just twitter.com forward slash fear the boot. No underscores, no spaces, no nothing. I'll link this in the show notes. Follow us. And all I want you to do is just tweet me two things. One, your favorite mech. Don't know the name of a mech? That's fine, too. Just tell me you don't have a favorite mech. Or go on to sarna.net. I'll link that in the show notes. And just look one up at random. Link clan mech, and I might report you. But otherwise, you're good. And include also the hashtag poundgencon2015. So be sure to include that as well. If you just give me those two things, poundgencon2015, and also your favorite mech, or I know you don't know what the hell mechs are, then I will put you into the drawing. We will pick a winner. And if you live anywhere in the world that FedEx will ship to, you can enter this contest. So there you go. That's all you got to do. All right. So I want to talk about some of the stuff that I saw at Gen Con this year. And I would love to give you a much more exhaustive discussion of some of the products and the people that were there But unfortunately, I was only there for part of one day. I drove up real early Saturday morning and came back late Saturday night. So I didn't get as much time as I would have liked out there to see everything that was going on. Uh, I can at least give you a few of the highlights I saw, but I realize I'm probably going to be missing some of the products that were there that I simply didn't see. Uh, Shadowrun 5e was doing really well. I talked to Jason Hardy, who's the line developer on Shadowrun. I think we're going to try and get him on the show to talk about that some more. But Shadowrun 5e, I'm told, is now on its third run or was on its third run, which has sold out. So they're doing good stuff there. Of course, the D&D 5e, no shock there, but that was doing well and getting a lot of talk. One of the other products that, I mean, it sold out fast, and I'm told they restocked it and it sold out a second time, or maybe even a third time, was the Green Ronin game Fantasy Age, specifically the Titan's Grave setting, uh, which is being made fairly popular right now by the Geek and Sundry show uh, that's covering a Titan's Grave campaign. The other thing I saw that I was really pleased about, and I want to get one or two of the guys from over there on the show in the near future, is Inquil Ideas. And we've interviewed them before, Joe Wetzel and also a good friend of the show, Keith Curtis. He's one of their artists. Uh, But Inquil Ideas, they put out some new products. And for years, we have been advocating keeping a bunch of kind of game helpers or game aids on hand when you're running a role-playing game. So if somebody catches you you know, flat-footed, they ask about the name of the barkeep, or they go way off course from your plot and you need something to give them to do, that one possibility is to keep a bunch of flashcards around that have one- or two-sentence plot ideas or little quick encounters or maybe have just names and descriptions of NPCs you can throw out there And Inkwell's put out a bunch of these sort of inspirational products. One of them is dice that will randomly generate towns and dungeons. Of course, their main product line are like the hexographer and all these mapping tools that auto-build settings for you. But they have these really cool sets of cards that they've got out now with NPCs, with encounters, with creatures. And I love what they're doing with that, so I want to get them over here to chat us up uh, and talk about how I think they can help your game. So that's Inkwell Ideas. You can check the show notes once again for all these links. I'll be sure to give you guys everything you need related to what we're talking about. And if you saw a product at Gen Con that you thought was really great, would love us to take a look at, don't hesitate to let us know either on the blog or Twitter or on our forums or wherever it is you hit us up. So I want to start this show off with a thank you and a rant that are related, though the thank you and the rant are not directed at the same people. They just happen to be about the same topic. There was a point where I wasn't really sure I was going to be able to make Gen Con at all this year. And it's, it's a long story, I won't bore you guys with it. But I thought I could go, and then I thought I couldn't. And then the last minute, I was able to at least get up there for Saturday. But I came to find out that Catalyst was doing some Con exclusives that I was really interested in. Uh, one of them is they are putting out a set of five metal dice... Where the side with the six was replaced by the emblems of the five great houses of the inner spheres, which are factions in Battletech. And I mean, these are really cool looking dice. I was really excited to get those. And then they also were putting out 17 faction pins. Okay. So these are like metal pins that are the logos of different factions within the Battletech universe. While I was able to get all 17 of the pins, the dice, I'm told, sold out within about the first 10 or 20 minutes of the con hall opening on Thursday morning. And this is where I want to get the thank you in, and then I'll go to the rant. Okay, so my thank you is I want to thank Derek Knudsen from the Established Facts because He was able to help me out with most of the faction pins, and the only one he didn't get me, I was able to pick up later. And that was through no fault of his own. It was kind of weird how you had to get it. so uh, But I took care of that on my own. So a big thanks to Derek for his help. And then I also want to thank Tim Patrick from the Critical Glitch podcast, which is a podcast specifically about Shadowrun. I want to thank him because he was able to hook me up with at least three of the five dice. I didn't get the other two. And I'm hoping... That at some point, Catalyst reintroduces these. Now, here's where my rant comes in. I understand that a lot of game companies, when they go out to make things like this, they don't do some kind of production on demand. You know, they go out, they get a product run... For example, say you're talking about an RPG book. They might do a run of a 1,000 or 5,000 books, and that's their inventory. And then once that's sold off, if the interest is there, maybe they'll do another production run. And they don't just do a print-on-demand sort of thing. And there's business reasons for that, financial reasons, and I understand that. And I also understand that sometimes it behooves them to do these products as a con-exclusive because of the fact that at a convention... They've got space set up to talk about not just the product you know about, but the other products they're doing as well. I'll keep using Catalyst as an example. I was over there for Battletech stuff, but while I was there, I was also exposed to Shadowrun and some other games that they're launching and, you know, building on to. And so it gets you into their space and draws interest and traffic to what they're doing. And so I get the reasons why people do short runs or do con exclusives, but... Having said that, that intellectually, I get it. As a fan, I freaking hate it. Because you get these products, and let's use these Battletech dice as an example. If you look at the Battletech forums that are out there on Facebook or whatever, people are going nuts over these things. I mean, these are a really great product, and the people that are in the game want this product. And people that were not able to go to Gen Con, unless they're willing to drop a huge amount of money on eBay, they have no shot at getting these dice. Or someone like me who was at Gen Con but didn't get there within the first couple of minutes on Thursday when they all sold out. I have no shot at these. And I don't know if Catalyst intends to create more. But what I've heard, at least last I heard, was that this was intended to be a con exclusive. Now is that creating market demand and the truth they do intend to make more? I have no idea. But it still drives me absolutely nuts because when your fans want to buy something especially something like this that is a visible marketing tool for your game. You know, somebody sees a dice getting rolled and they don't know what they're for. We're going to have a conversation going about Battletech and to say, basically, you know, look, you want this, but, you know, your money's no good to us. And I I know it's not literally what's going on, but that's kind of how it feels as a fan. It's like, you know, I want this. I've got my money. Insert that meme from uh, Futurama of, Take my money, please. And knowing that these things aren't possibly ever going to be available again. And something similar happened to me at Comic-Con, I believe it was back in 2011. I was actually at the convention. Uh, Hasbro was doing a convention-only exclusive of the Combaticons, the Transformers that form Bruticus, which I was a huge fan of as a kid. And they did a con-exclusive production run of that set of Transformers that was just awesome and the demand was there and those things just sold out within some really really short amount of time and that's it you know there's no getting those again you know i understand once again from a business standpoint why they do these things but i hope at the same time the game companies will kind of understand they're screwing the players that don't have the ability to be there because they can't make that kind of travel or just weren't there that early and they're screwing themselves by creating demand for these products and then suddenly yanking them And so you get that lingering demand, but it ain't the McRib. It's not coming back. I don't know. If you're at Catalyst Game Labs, if you're at any game company, think about this. I don't know. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you disagree with me. But that's my rant. I mean, truth be told, what's going on here is I'm a fanboy and I'm mad because I didn't get what I wanted. (laughs) I totally recognize that. All right. Last thing I want to talk about here is I want to talk a little bit about why I wanted these things. You know Why did I care that much about these dice or these faction pins? And it got me thinking to a conversation that I actually had uh, with someone a while back. And I would name the person, but he's actually a rather controversial figure, so I'm not going to do that because I'm not trying to make this show about controversy. But it went something like this. There are intellectual properties out there. Books, movies, TV shows, role-playing games, video games, whatever that people identify with, that we really see as part of our identity. And one of the mechanisms that is often used, not always, but often used within those intellectual properties is people start to associate with a particular faction. All right. For example, I would wager most of the people listening to this show right now have probably taken an online test or decided in their own head which Harry Potter house they would belong to. I see people all the time still referring to themselves as browncoats, obviously after Firefly, you know, they identify with that faction. If you look at white wolf, you have the vampire clans, the werewolf tribes, and I know there's other factions in their stuff and people go out and they buy or they create memorabilia that shows the logos and the trappings of these factions in terms of ancillary products. I see a lot of N7-logoed stuff. And for anyone not familiar with N7, N7 is like the human special forces within the Bioware video game Mass Effect. And I see a ton of people walking around with N7 shirts and hoodies and what I mean, heck, I myself have an N7 t-shirt, and then Carl also got me an N7 jacket that's pretty cool. And I think that's a really powerful and really awesome thing because, first of all, it says to me that somebody created a setting that has elements in it people care enough about to identify with, to say that this is something on some level I connect with, want to be a part of, or I just think it's cool. You know, there's something about it I just like. And that also gives us a chance to project ourselves into those settings, to say, you know, hey, if this was a real thing, if this actually happened, These are the people that I might throw my lot in with. These are the people that I would aspire to be a part of. And what this conversation I was having with this individual was about was the idea of actually encouraging that from the front end. That when you do game development, or if you already have a setting developed that just so happens to have factions in it, that you go out and you try to create a sufficient number of factions that you feel like people can relate to what they're consuming. To give a specific example, there's a homebrew setting that I've played around with some, and this is not one I don't think I've really talked much about on the show, maybe not talked about at all, but it's sort of a, a sci-fi fantasy blend. And you can guess right there why I don't talk about it much, because Chad and John would both aneurize at me even saying such a thing. But it's a far, far distant future sci-fi, space opera kind of sci-fi that has some amount of magic blended into it. But the way that the magic works in the game is it's very organic. It emerges from your personality. So people that belong to a particular school of magic or a particular spiritual sect or whatever, they all have similar personalities. And so if I ever decided to develop that setting, it would be pretty easy for me as someone who knows how to go out and build a web application to make some kind of a quiz that would tell you, hey, this is where you would end up if you were in the game, and here's why. You know, do kind of a little personality thing. Uh, One thing I've thought about for Epoch Verisos is there's aliens within that universe that they have a way of sort of subdividing people based along astronomical, almost astrological sorts of things. And there's a way, let's say if this thing caught on and I wanted to productize it, that I could create something where people could go and figure out how they would fit into the society and then make available to them something that's customized, that shows all of the trappings of how they fit in, that shows those lows, that shows those patterns that are identifying marks. And so here's my two points. I got a question, I got a comment. And my question to you guys is, what factions in role-playing games or in any kind of literature that's out there Have you found that you really identify with for some reason? And that doesn't even mean you necessarily support them. I mean, I identify with the Brotherhood of Nod, but if this was real life and that's how things were going, obviously they're an incredibly evil organization, so I'd have nothing to do with them. But there's still something about them that was cool to me. So I'm curious, what are the types of things that you guys have gravitated to over the years? You know, is it the Harpers of Waterdeep? Is it a particular house from Battletech? Is it a vampire clan or a werewolf tribe or Harry Potter house or the Brown Coats? And why do you think that happened? What attracted you to that? I would tell you what attracted me to Nod, but it's actually uh, also kind of politically incendiary, so I won't. But the other thing that I want to make as a comment is that I think there is a value within games to creating content that is relatable. And right now I'm talking about factions, okay? So I'm talking about, obviously, identifying with some group or its logos and iconography and its esprit de corps and its core values and whatever. But when you are creating a role-playing game, one thing that I think cannot be emphasized enough is that role-playing is obviously a projective form of entertainment. It's about putting yourself in a situation you're not in, being someone you're not And finding something about that experience that you can relate to or that compels you to want to explore that story. And this is obviously most easily expressed in the form of the character that you are playing and the difficulties and the situations that that character encounters and how that character develops and overcomes them and your relationships to other characters. But I think there's also a way of talking about that in terms of your context within the game world, that having relatable factions or having factions that are exciting to people within a game to the point that they themselves are choosing to identify with them, I think makes a real statement about the fact that you have done something that people actually care about. You've done something to take that experience of role-playing, to take that sort of uh, bit of projection, that bit of fantasy, And to say it's not just about who I am, but it's about the context I would exist in within that society, who I would be willing to fly the flag of. And if you're creating role-playing games, then I think you ought to consider doing this. If you are not creating role-playing games, but you're just running for your group, there's all kinds of cool things you can do with this. Find factions that your group cares about. If they don't exist, ask them. I remember running several Battletech games, going back to our old favorite chestnut here, and when we started and we were doing the group template, I would ask my players, to create their own groups. So I'd say, okay, we're going to play within one of the major houses or a mercenary company or something like that, but I want you guys to tell me about the history of this group, the trappings of this group. I want you to tell me about you know, their logos, their iconography, their uh, salutes they have, traditions, and where they came from. And I've had some pretty cool stuff come out of that. I mean, for example, the very first Battletech campaign I ran was – about a Marik unit, which we made up called the Marik 1089th, which defected from Marik and went rogue and eventually became a mercenary company. And to this day, Tex, my older brother, still sometimes uses the 1089th uh, as part of his handles or as, you know, his personal to define stuff. And this was a game that was, good heavens, it has to have been 25 years ago at least by this point. And that's not the only example I could give, but I think you guys get the point, so I don't want to beat this into the ground. But anyway, once again, check the show notes. I will put links to all the products that I've talked about. I might come back at a future episode and talk a little bit more about Battletech, including some source books I picked up from them and some of the things that I love about where they're taking the game. And as several people have requested, maybe I'll give a crash course on how to get started playing Battletech. Maybe I'll even see if someone from Catalyst will show up Uh, Give me the two dice I'm missing from my collection and I'll let them talk about their products. Just saying. Something else to be looking forward to is we did an interview a little bit back with uh, James and Kat from One Shot Podcast and all their other products. That's the whole family of shows. One Shot is their most well-known. And I actually met up with James at Gen Con and uh, walked him around the floor a bit. Tried to introduce him to some people but largely struck out looking for the folks I wanted. Uh, They all were either... Busy off doing other stuff or whatnot. So, but at any rate, he and I did talk about still trying to get together a Fear the Boot one shot crossover uh, to do a live recording game to do an actual play uh, with mixed members of Fear the Boot and One Shot. So, that's something pretty cool. I hope that we can get done here in the very near future. And in the meantime, once again, show notes. Uh, Don't forget the contest, pound Gen Con 2015 or hash Gen Con 2015, whatever you kids are calling it nowadays. Just hit us up with that on Twitter, and we will get you entered into the drawing for the Battletech Starter box set. And just to give you guys some kind of a cutoff here on that contest, please get those tweets to us by the end of the day. So 59 59 p.m. in Central Time. So, okay, the time that it would be in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where we're located on August 17th, okay? So the end of the day, Monday, August 17th, according to Central Time, and then on the morning of August 18th, I will select the winner, we'll announce it on the show, and I'll also send that person a uh, direct message tweet from the Fear the Boot account so I can get their address and get that game shipped off to them. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And once again, if you've got something to say about any of this, you know where to find us, let us know. And whether it's just me or a whole crew again, we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2015. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.